Behold is always the answer to all questions. Because behold always takes you somewhere. And where it takes you is the most important place of all. Matthew chapter 2 from the King James. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. This is the intersection of heaven and earth. The world is about to change forever. This night, God will write holy history with a star, angels, and a baby. We love stories. And the great stories we love to hear over and over again. And we, we learn this when we're, when we're children. We're read stories by our mother and father, by grandma or grandpa. And it's just the most delightful part of a child's life. So I was doing a, a wedding on Saturday in Northern Virginia. And as part of the wedding, members of the wedding party were to step forward in the middle of the ceremony and read various portions of scripture that the bride and I had agreed upon. And they each had a booklet and they would open it, step forward, and they would read the scripture. So the time came for the fourth and last scripture to be read. And a young father stepped forward. He opened up the booklet to read and his two and a half year old daughter seated in the front row saw her daddy about to read a book and she ran up to him. She said, daddy, read book to me. Daddy, read book to me. Daddy, read book to me. And I said, hey, kid, doing a wedding over here. Can you, can you cool it? But the heart of a child just wants to hear a story. And tonight, tonight we want to hear a story, even though we've heard it over and over again. We want to hear it in the hope of hearing something new, maybe in the hope of feeling something, maybe in the hope of touching a little bit of Bethlehem. Behold, there came from the east three wise men. Maybe they had the hope of feeling something. Maybe they had the hope of touching that moment 
in Bethlehem. I think we all have similar hopes because life is so befuddling and challenging and tumultuous. It just swirls and swirls. The swirling challenges of life abound. And I had one of those swirling, challenging moments just the other day. I call this one of the the parables of my life. My wife and I have very differing opinions about dog comfort issues. Um, We have two dogs, and, and we just differ on this idea of dog comfort. How much comfort should a dog have? And I'm a minimalist, and she's a maximalist, if there's such a word. And she believes a dog should have a big fluffy bed to sleep in, and, and there should be multiple beds throughout the house, so a dog would only have to go three steps and be able to fall in a bed. Okay? <laughs> I wish I could go three steps and fall in a bed, but th- that's, that's not the point here. So, so she buys all these amazing beds. Let's take a look at one of the beds that she, she purchased not too long. Oh, this is an amazing bed. It's fluffy. It invites you to come and sleep for a long time time. And the worst thing about this bed, though, is my wife has to always wash it so it's always clean. I'm like, the dogs don't care. They don't really care. But she's like, it has to be clean. It has to smell fresh. I just want the smell to be fresh in our home. And so when she washes it, she has to pull out all the pillows, which makes the bed look like the teddy bear at Build-A-Bear before you build it. It's sort of like, you know, I want that one. You know, and then you have to go and, and blow it up. So whenever the bed is like that, it drives me crazy because I cannot get the pillow back in. I can't get the pillow back in. And I, while I'm getting the pillow back in and I'm trying real hard, I go, I wish I had a new bed. I wish somebody would fluff my bed. I haven't had a new bed in years. But the dogs have beds everywhere. So I'm stuffing it and I'm trying to get it done. And I can't quite get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting sort of upset about it. And finally, I jam it in, I zip it up, I'm like, here's the bed. And so I end up with a bed that looks like this. Now, if you notice, if you look closely, it's not the same bed. All the fluffiness on the top is gone, which is, I'll put them side by side. You can see this very clearly. I invited the raccoon to be part of this. He lives with us also. And, and so you can see the fluffy one and then the not fluffy one. Then I realized I had stuffed it upside down. You see? Animals matter, but you have to stand on your head to see that. I stuffed it, stuffed it upside down. And so I'm living this very upside down, tumultuous life. And not even my dogs understand me anymore. They just look at me. They go, why are you, why, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this to us? We like mom better than you. She buys, us, she buys us all these beds and we just have to walk three steps before we can just lay down. The upside down life surrounds us. Maybe for you, you still have pies that you need to bake. You are out of luck. It's over. The pie baking time is over. You better go down to Sugar Plum and Sugar Plum Bakery. They have pies up to the ceiling. People are flocking and you still have time. You still have a little bit of time. If you get there quickly after the service, you can get there and you can get a pie. And how do I know that? Guess where I was this morning. Maybe you need to get gas in your car and you put it off and it's on E, it's on fumes, and you got to drive somewhere tomorrow to Richmond or Williamsburg or South Carolina. You're like, we didn't get the gas and our life is just upside down. Maybe you just realized that actually you left grandma at the mall. She's there. She's still at L.L. Bean. She's looking for those warm, fluffy slippers to give to grandpa. And you better call Uber right now. Uber grandma back here. Like Ellen Griswold, 
in Christmas vacation, we end up saying, I don't know what to say, except it's Christmas, and we're all in misery. The upside-down life besets all of us, so what do we do? What is the answer? Behold, Matthew writes, behold, because behold is the answer to all questions. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. This was written 800 years before. It's mind-boggling. 800 years before the prophet Isaiah hears God speak to him. And he writes this down. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew repeats this prophecy. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. There are well over 1,000 uses of the word behold in the Bible. Each one calling us into a story God is telling. And he's telling that story because it's his story. He's telling it to us because he wants it to be our story. And he wants to build the connection between where he is and where we are. In order to do that, we have to look at behold. Behold, the wise men came from these. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. In the 18th century, the great German philosopher Immanuel Kant offered that all the important questions of life can be boiled down to these three. And so he was sitting there thinking and pondering and thinking about life and thinking about what the meaning of life is. And finally, one day, it hits him. Ah, it all comes down to these three questions. What can I know? What ought I to do? What may I hope for? What can I know? What ought I to do? What can I hope for? I call these my three behold questions for Christmas. First question, what can I know? This is the what is truth question. What is truth? Because if you can find the truth, you have found everything. You can build your life on the truth. And your life will be secure and sturdy. If you try to build your life on anything else, it might hold up for a while. But then sooner or later, you'll feel it getting shaky. It'll start to, to crumble. But there have been all kinds of philosophical offerings of truth, all kinds of artistic interpretations of the truth. But there could only be one truth. The other day I was watching a TV show. It's an interesting TV show. It's called The Good Place. And they presented their opinion of truth. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, Every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect 
that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! So welcome to eternal happiness. Welcome to the good place. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. You know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel every day. Is that the truth? Is that the truth? It's a big point system, and you're all earning points. If that's the truth, you're in big trouble. You don't have enough points. I automatically, I'm a pastor, I automatically get a million points. I'm like way up there. I'm almost there. But you got to work on it if you have a point system. And what if you get down to the end and you throw a three-pointer and you miss? It's just, it's just crazy. It doesn't even make any sense. The Bible puts it this way. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It's God's gift to you. And why is it God's gift to you? Because behold, 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 the baby was born in Bethlehem long ago. You can't make up your own truth. People do this all the time. They say, well, I think you can't make up your own truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And you could disagree with that. You could say, well, I'm going this way. But once you have the truth, it's mutually exclusive of all other opinions. What can I know? Second question. What ought I to do? This is the how can I change the world question. How do I change the world? And you change the world by engaging it at a real level of change, not just a level of talking about change, not just a, a level of, of posturing about change. You have to get in the ring and, and change the world. One of my favorite speakers and authors is Beth Moore, and she put this out as a, as a, as a tweeter the other day, as a tweet, a tweeter, a twit, whatever that is. <laughs> she said, We've lost our theological minds to think it's enough for people of light to sit in the light, carry the light, show the light, preach the light, podcast the light, but not fight the darkness. It's like showing up in the ring, decked out, belted and gloved, and never throwing a punch. And never throwing a punch. You see, if the kingdom of God is going to happen, we have to make it happen. What ought I to do? What should we do? Love God. Do stuff. Accept him. Get to know him. Be his force in the world, his hands and his feet in the world. Do good stuff for him. And so now I'm going to do something that I've never done on Christmas Eve for 25 years. We had our 25th birthday this year as a church, 25th anniversary. And I have never done this in 25 years, but I'm going to do it right now because I, I asked God about it and God said, Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. So there are simply two baskets here down front. There are two baskets out at the Christmas tree in the lobby. Why are they there? I got a call the other day from my friend who's a pastor in West Africa in the small, small country of Togo. 
and he said, we don't have any money for the orphans for Christmas. Can you help? And this is just about the time that we ran out of the money that we collect to give away to people in the community. We're always helping the homeless. We're always helping people who have needs and trying to help people to, to get into that gap with them between where they are and where they need to be. And so we really didn't. And I was thinking, how are we going to, to do this? And then it came upon me. I'm just going to ask you. All you have to do is, is drop a couple dollars in these baskets. It's not a big deal. On the way out, Christmas tree, drop a few dollars in those baskets, and the orphans will get something for Christmas. James said, true religion in the sight of God our Father is this, to help orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Wouldn't that be a great Christmas gift to give Christmas to an orphan on the other side of the world who has nothing? And I've been there, and they literally have nothing. One of the little girls you just saw, she's, she's an orphan uh, there, and, and she was standing there with a bunch of the students that were there. We're also trying to pay their tuition to go to, to school there because that's how it works. Um, and she didn't have a book bag. This is, this is who she is right here. She didn't have a book bag. And I had this great book bag that I bought so I could take this trip to Africa. It was just amazing. I got all my stuff in there, and she had nothing. I emptied out all my stuff. I just gave her my book bag because I knew, like, in, in, in the face of that kind of innocence, I am called to be a humble servant of a baby in Bethlehem. Behold, Max Cato puts it this way, pray all the time. If necessary, use words. God forgets the past. Imitate him. Greed, I've often regretted. Generosity, never. Never miss a chance to read a child a story, unless I'm doing a wedding. Don't ask God to do what you want. Ask God to use you to do what he wants. Be the answer to someone's prayer. That's what we ought to do. Third question. What may I hope for? This is the where am I going question. Where am I going? What's, what's your real horizon? What do you really see? And when you approach New York City from just about any direction, you see it on the horizon. You can't help but see it. It stands there majestic in all of the glory of humanity, the hands that built all those buildings. But what do you really see? This verse has stayed with me for a long time. It's one of the first verses I ever memorized long ago after I became a Christian. It's Hebrews 13, 14. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city that is to come. That's the real horizon. What can I hope for? You can hope for that city that is to come. You can hope to be in a place where everything finally is the way that God ordained for it to be. Eugene Peterson, who translated the Bible in the version called The Message, put it this way. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. What do you see do you see that horizon of seeking the city which is to come? What 
are you hoping for? What are you going towards? Revelation 3.20 puts it this way. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and will dine with her and he with me and she with me. Behold answers all the questions that have ever truly been asked. All great stories end in one of two ways. Either someone now sees what they did not see, like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. He sees what he did not see. Or someone is blind to what they needed to see. A long time ago, this question was asked, a very famous woman. Is there anything worse than being born blind? And she replied quickly, yes. It is being born able to see and yet having no vision, said Helen Keller. What may I hope for? This is the where am I going question. This weekend, the Wall Street Journal in the review section talked about God, talked about Christmas. I love when the Wall Street Journal writes about Christmas and God. What is Christmas anyway? Terry Teachout writes. What is Christmas anyway? For those who don't celebrate the birth of Christ yet still trim a tree on December 25th, it's, well, complicated. Christmas is, after all, a specifically Christian holiday. How then did it metamorphose into the most wonderful time of the year? Chalk it up to Charles Dickens. It is a well-attested historical fact that the publication of A Christmas Carol, the best-loved book by the best-selling English-language novelist of the 19th century, had the unintended consequence of reintroducing Christmas to countless Britons and Americans who had stopped observing the holiday. And its influence continues to be felt today. In 1843, Dickens penned a Christmas Carol. And it's been published every year since then. And one of the great desires of my life is to one day just sit down in a quiet place and read through the whole story in one long sitting. What, what Dickens did, however, was brilliant. He takes this character, his main character, Ebenezer Scrooge. He has him visited by Marley, his former business partner who died on a, on a Christmas Eve, and Marley comes back, and he's shaking, and then he's clanking. And he says, you're going to be visited by three ghosts tonight. Ghosts of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future. And so this unfolds, and it happens. And by the morning, by the morning, Scrooge is transformed. He is changed. Everything in his life is in a new light. And the brilliant Charles Dickens put the whole story in the main character's name. Scrooge, we think about Scrooge and we think about some irascible, intolerant, terrorizing person. But Ebenezer, why did he choose the name Ebenezer to call his main character? The whole story's in the word Ebenezer. And I didn't know this until I studied it a few years, a few years ago. Ebenezer is an ancient Hebrew word. It's actually two words that are put together. The first part of Ebenezer 
is the word for stone or rock. The second part of Ebenezer, etzer, is the Hebrew verb to save. And so it's a stone of salvation, a rock of saving grace. That's what Ebenezer is. And where do you get that from? You get that from a story in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament where when God shows up to save Israel, they say, we have to remember this. We have to remember that God showed up and saved us. And so let's get some rocks and let's pile them up here. And so when we come back this way and we see this and our child is with us and we see this, we point it out to our child. We say, this is where God showed up to save us. And we never want to forget that God shows up to save his people. And so what's Ebenezer Scrooge's name? How did Charles Dickens put the whole story into the word Ebenezer, the name Ebenezer? His name is God showed up and saved me, Scrooge. God showed up and saved me. Behold, the virgin will be with child. And God showed up and saved us too. There are three behold questions for Christmas. What can I know? This is the what is truth question. What ought I to do? This is the how do I change the world question. What may I hope for? This is the where am I going question. There are well over 1,000 uses of the word behold in the Bible, each one calling us into a story God is telling. It's a story that's his story. It's a story that's our story. It's a story trying to connect who he is and who we are and bring that all together. Behold, wise men came. Behold, the virgin will be with child. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You see, behold is always the answer to all questions because behold always takes us to Jesus. He is the story God is telling you tonight. To know Christmas, you have to know him. Behold is the answer to all questions because behold takes us to Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, we're humbled to be here tonight. Allow us to be changed. Allow us not just to answer these questions, but to live them dynamically as you work in us and through us. We give you this night. We give you this Christmas Eve. Put your holy hands upon us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>